Volume. Welcome to Transparency Talks, the member-oriented podcast focused on issues of truth, transparency, and trust. I'm Jeff Kelly Lowenstein, founder and executive director of the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, or CCIJ. We are honored today to be joined by Winston Mowale, a colleague, a friend, a lecturer in journalism, uh, a founder of Africa Brief, and a longtime journalist Welcome, Winston, and thank you so much for joining us on Transparency Talks. Thanks so much for having me. Now, uh, Winston, can you tell us a little bit about how you decided to enter the field of journalism? Well, to begin with, I should say it has been a dream that has been there, that has been lingering for so many years. Okay? Uh, I remember back in the days uh, while, while I was at primary school, I remember I used to read a lot of magazines, newspapers, and what have you. Yeah, maybe by then, I didn't think about journalism um, per se, but looking back at what I used to do back then, uh, in retrospect, I can see that maybe that was the genesis of this long trip to journalism. But then the actual idea, the actual desire now to get into the field of journalism started in the 1990s when I became serious starting, for example, writing for some newspapers on a freelance basis because by then I was doing other stuff. And then when I started teaching in 2000, I remember the school where I was teaching, it was a primary school by then. Uh, I remember setting up a newsletter for the school. Uh, I still had that, that desire, okay, to, to do something about journalism. So, yeah, I would say it started a long time back, but then it actually manifested itself in the 1990s and eventually in the 2000s when I was, I was setting up some newsletters for, for, for this other primary school. So looking back at whatever I was doing, devouring newspapers, reading magazines, I would say it has always been there. No, it's beautiful. And, and it's interesting, Winston, because I was also, like you, a teacher. I was in education for about 15 years before switching to journalism. Was there a moment where you said, uh, this is it, I'm doing it for me? I actually went to school. I applied for a couple of years and went, went to school eventually. But was it like a gradual switch or you just, you said, okay, I'm doing this now? Yeah, I remember way back in, um, uh, in the year, uh, 1997, um, I heard on the radio some some adv uh, advertisement, some school, some online school was uh, looking for people interested in training as journalists, whether face-to-face -face or through correspondence. I said, well, I've been longing to become a journalist. Maybe I should take this training, okay? Mm. So I took that training. It was a correspondence training in 1997. It was a one-year training. A certificate in journalism. So that was my wow moment. I wanted to seize it. I said, well, for a long time, I wanted to become a journalist, but there was no opportunity for me to train as a journalist. So when I heard that advert on the radio, 
I took that opportunity. I applied and then eventually trained as a journalist for one year. I got my first certificate in journalism. So that was the, my, the moment that I said, well, this is my opportunity. But I'd say eventually when I took that course, uh, so many years passed by because eventually in the year 2009, after we, having worked as a teacher for almost 10 years, uh, in 2009, a local radio station, it's a privately owned radio station. It's called Zodiac Broadcasting Station. It's a well-known radio station in Malawi. They announced an advert that they were looking for correspondents in different districts. So I said, well, for a long time, I really wanted to be a journalist. Now, here's a radio station. It's a well-known radio station. It's looking for people. It's looking for journalists. Why don't I... It was like a gamble because I had to abandon teaching and then try this new job. But I said, well, for, for a long time, I'd always wanted to become a journalist. I think there'll be no moment that, uh, than this. So I applied. I took the risk. I applied. Eventually, because I was good, they picked me. So instead of recruiting me as a correspondent in some district, they actually recruited me as a reporter at the headquarters, as one of the key reporters there. So it's like uh, I was thrown in the battleground Here's somebody who has never practiced journalism and then he put into the newsroom, a busy newsroom. So that was it. That, no, very nice and good for you for gathering your courage and, and jumping. You know, I, I learned to teach from my fourth grade teacher and he has this expression, leap and the net will appear. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah so you leaped and then the newsroom appeared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> When you were dreaming of being a journalist and, and now that you have more than a decade of experience under your belt, what types of stories do you really like to tell and why? Is it investigative? Is it feature stories? Is it corruption stories? Is it political? What sorts of stories really, they get you in the guts and you wake up and you can't wait to do them and that kind of stuff. What are those stories for you? That's a very good question. When I was just joining Zodiac in 2009, naturally I became a generalist, somebody who did all sorts of stories. I covered different bits. Okay, you talk of uh, agriculture one day, medicine, parliament. But um, later on, I think in 2012, I became more and more interested in uh, investigative journalism. Because these common stories that we do every day to say such, such a thing has happened, well, they come and go and then we forget about them. But uh, there are some other people who have, who have problems, okay? They wish those problems could be addressed. But because journalists are normally busy, they want stories that could be done now and then, and then they are broadcast. Nobody takes care of uh, these other stories that uh, need long-term investigation. So in, the, in 2012, 20, 2011, and thereabout, that was, that was, that was when... I, uh, I started to, to, to get interested in investigative journalism. And then this was further cemented when he, uh, I was recruited and eventually became part of the fellows of the Reuters uh, Foundation. They had a program which they called Wealth of Nations. Now, this is a program where Reuters was training investigative journalists in different parts of the, of the continent, that's Africa, to track, to help track the wealth of nations and to see whether that wealth is benefiting people. So I eventually I did a story 
which told of how Malawi was losing billions of kwacha through some some flawed contractual agreements between uh, the government and the mining companies. So that's how the journey started. Re- really powerful point about switching from kind of the, the day-to-day, you're a generalist, to going into those deeper stories. Now, I know uh, Malawi, there are some challenges with the press freedoms uh, uh, at times in the country. What obstacles have you encountered doing this kind of investigative work, and how have you gotten over those challenges? Well, I think the biggest challenge that the Malawian journalists have been facing over the years is the absence uh, of a law that enables them to access public information. Okay, For almost a decade, Malawian journalists and other communicators and the general public have been fighting for what we call access to information uh, bill. Of course, it's now a law, but for that bill to become a law, I tell you, there were struggles. It, it actually was shelved as a, as a bill for close to almost eight years, nine years. Mm. Okay? So the previous government was reluctant to, 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 to pass that bill to become a law. So it was actually difficult for us as journalists to get even public information. Okay? So eventually... Uh, to answer your question on how I navigated around, I think in building trust, okay, because people knew that uh, I was reporting uh, good stories, factual stories. Uh, people eventually would come, come up, or allow me to 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 get access to some documents. But of course, there was that kind of resistance, especially from. So sad from public relations officers. Public relations officers are the people who are supposed to, I mean, to to give out information. But in Malawi, it's, it was so hard. But I think that that kind of trust that I built over the years with the public, with the people, um, eventually helped me to navigate around and eventually get uh, the, the stories. So I think that trust, which I... Uh, and over the years has helped me. Well, another part of your work that I admire in the project that you did uh, with with support from CCIJ was how versatile your 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 production package is because there's a story, you took photos, there's video uh, being shot at three in the morning of these women trying to get the water and you can see how tired they are and how dirty the water is both at that night scene but also in different parts of the the capital, the long way, and then a podcast. So can you talk about these different modes of storytelling and are there people that you reach in one method that maybe you don't reach in another and so on? Because that's a real multimedia package that you've presented. Well, um, well, I think as a, as a former teacher and then now as a journalist, I know that people learn in different ways, okay? Yes. Others, they learn visually, okay? Seeing is believing, so to say. They will want to see uh, whether what you are talking about is real. So yes. that's why I decided to come up with a video. Because yes. sometimes when you just write an online piece, people say, well, maybe these are cooked up stories. So yes. we had to take the, 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 the initiative of even documenting it in video. Okay? Yes. And then he talked about it, the audio part. The other people would say, well, I don't have much time to go all through the video. 
I would rather just listen. And the, as somebody who is coming from the radio background, that's my area where I specialized much uh, in storytelling through audio. So I to, to, to do it that way because I know that uh, I can do it better that way. And then, he, of course, the online piece, people can just read and then yes, they yes. get the gist of what is it. So to answer your question, I wanted everyone to, to be catered for. Those who would want to see for themselves, they can see it. Those who just want to listen to it, they would listen. And those who would want to read it, they would read it. No, no, it's a, it's a beautiful combination and how, how they reinforce each other. And I'm really glad yes. you brought up that point about being a former teacher, practicing in journalism. And now you're also teaching again at the university level. So that's another thing we have in common that we, we, we did the classroom teaching, went into journalism, and now we're also teaching again. Can you talk a little bit about your students, the university, how you're finding it, what, how your journalism influences the work that you do as a teacher, and vice versa? Can you talk about that part of your work portfolio? Well, uh, for a long time, I've been an advocate of uh, uh, talking about teaching at college or different courses. I've been an advocate of uh, having lecturers, having tutors who have actually done the work for some time. Yes, I think yes. somebody who has done the work for some time, for some years, would make a better teacher in any course. Yes. Now, to answer your question, to me, it becomes much easier to, to teach students about journalism because I've been there. And I always give practical examples. Okay, and things come spontaneously from my head. Okay, I've done it for, 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 for years. It would be different from somebody who just comes from college and then he hasn't been into the newsroom, hasn't practiced journalism. But with me, it comes right there because of practical experience. It just comes spontaneously. And I also give, for example, one of the courses that, that I teach at university is investigative journalism it becomes much easier to, 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 to teach journalism at university after having worked for so long. Uh, absolutely. And I, I find, and it sounds like you're saying the same thing, that the, the work that you do, not just in the past, but that you're doing now, that feeds your teaching. And then also sometimes the questions from the students, that helps you then be explicit about the method that you're using, but you hadn't necessarily been conscious of that way. So that's really... No, that's really neat. Well, another thing, too, that I wanted to ask you about is, uh, and again, this is sort of a parallel where we've gotten CCIJ going and you've started Africa Brief. So you're not only an advocate for free speech, a, a journalist, a, uh, a teacher, but you're also a, a leader and a creator of, of Africa Brief. So can you talk about Africa Brief, what it is, what made you want to do it? how the project got going, where it is now. Fill us in on Africa Brief, please. The, the idea behind the Africa Brief started while I was still at Zodiac. Uh, there was a time, uh, because Zodiac has got three platforms, it's radio, TV, and online. So I was an aggressive writer. I would also write for radio, TV, and also online. But then there was a, a period, I think two occasions, when the website of Zodiac crashed. And then all the stories were gone. Mm. Okay. It happened in the first instance. And then he, again, last year, 2019, it happened. Then I said, well, I think of all the people who really complained, it was me. Because I had a lot of stories that were, that were there. And I couldn't imagine never seeing them again. 
okay? So you can imagine that, that kind of situation. You've written beautiful stories, but they're all gone in an instant. So I searched for some platform. I said, well, let me create my own platform where, okay, I'll post stories on Zodiac website, but also I would also post those stories on my own platform. So that, that was the, the genesis. But then when I left Zodiac, I said, okay, well, this cannot be just my own platform, okay, for my own stories. Maybe I should turn it into some kind of uh, uh, pan-African thing where journalists from Africa would come together and then post stories about Africa. So that was the beginning of uh, all this. So right now, um, I would say Africa Brief is a movement of storytellers from Africa where we would want to source or curate stories from Africa and then bring them on one platform. Our motto is one page or the African stories because uh, we want to create a platform whereby if somebody wants to know more about Africa or what's happening in Africa, they would go to one page instead of moving from different pages searching for what has happened in Africa on that day or that week, they would just go to Africa Brief and find the major stories there. And recently, uh, in the advent of COVID-19, we've concentrated more on stories to do with COVID-19, okay? Agriculture, education, economy, and what have you. So what we're doing is we get different uh, uh, stories from different parts of the world, uh, parts of Africa. We mainly get uh, press statements, from gov government departments, then we storify them and then post them on, on our website. So it's like right now, Africa Brief has become a platform where if somebody wants to know, for example, what's happening as far as COVID-19 is concerned in Africa, they would go to this page. That's a, it's a very exciting project. And I know, particularly in this time when people can't move around as much, having a, a centralized location of information. And maybe Jeff, just to add, no, please, um, please. Yeah, yeah. We've been recognized, actually, as Africa Brief. Just um, on Thursday, um, we were invited by the South African government as Africa Brief to make a presentation on how African media houses, um, how journalists are doing in disseminating or in helping governments in disseminating Africa, I mean, information about COVID-19. So it's, it was an honor that Africa Brief, which is just starting out, should be recognized by the whole South African government and make a presentation. So you, you can see we are growing because for the whole government of South Africa to recognize us and invite us to make a presentation, it was not an easy feat. No, no, and congratulations on that well-deserved honor. And I know for me, I certainly consider it an honor to have been shared some of my writing and have you uh, pu publish it on, uh, on Africa Brief and as, uh, in terms of speaking about growing communities, I was wondering, Winston, uh, for me, I'm, I'm very uh, honored and grateful that you're a member of our community at CCIJ. Can you talk a little bit about what CCIJ as a community perhaps has meant for you individually, but also what we're trying to build, what you think that, that means for, for journalism? Uh, that's a very interesting question. You know, uh, like the, the Chinese... Uh, adage goes, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a step. Uh, this all started in South Africa, you remember Jeff, 
when we're uh, having some conversation on water source, water stories, when we're trying to brainstorm what's happening in your different countries, it started as an idea. And eventually here we are, we've got a blooming, a growing community. Now, uh, um, personally, I think I feel honored to be part and parcel of a community uh, that I would say, uh, I saw it starting, it's growing, uh, I, I feel proud. And then uh, the most important thing also that I, I feel proud about with the CCIJ is the, the support that is offered to journalists. For example, there's, a, there's an, an initiative where members are given an opportunity, identify a story, a burning story that relates to what, of course, in their respective countries, and then bring up that story and then work with an editor, okay, uh, up to the end. You know, during the time you are working with the editor from the, from the concept, okay, from the hypothesis, stories, doing the actual story, and then the, your first draft, rewriting, reworking on your final drafts up to the time of publishing. It's a whole less, it's a whole learning process. I like that process. So another thing about the, the community is that we are growing. There's the podcast now, which is a good initiative. We've, we are now also growing with social media uh, presence. We've, we, we are on Twitter, okay? We are growing. That assurance that you have people to support you, to, 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 to back you uh, in as far as storytelling is concerned makes me proud. Well, that, that's very nice, Winston. And certainly, as I said, we're very proud that you're a member of the community and uh, the work that you have produced with the support that we got from Open Society Southern Africa that you mentioned, uh, that, that's, that's a very, we're very proud of that package that, uh, that's continuing to develop our, our coverage on this, on this very important issue. Now, is there anything else that we haven't asked uh, Winston, about you, about your work, about uh, future directions, about CCIJ, anything we haven't asked that you would like to say? Like, for example, these days we are using social media, WhatsApp, newsletters, and what have you. But journalism will always remain, um, as it was many years ago, built on truth, verification, and more importantly, saving the people. Okay, so I would urge each and every journalist, wherever they are, to remember that our work is very simple. Let's save the people, let's bring change, let's see to it that the voiceless have a voice through us. And talking about CCJ, CCIJ in particular, let's, let's grow, let's bring in as many people as possible because different people bring different ideas and then we'll grow that way. And also, CCIJ, I would still encourage you, let's bring in more partners, funders, and what have you, so that other people, other journalists, wherever they are, can do other stories in different parts of the world. And then that way, we'll bring to the fore the untold stories that would have maybe gone without being told. And finally, I would like to thank all the members of the, uh, the community and the listeners out there. Please, journalists are not enemies. We simply tell what's happening there. You know, a lot is happening in the world. There's a lot that is happening. It's only journalists who try to make sense of them, package them, put them together into a meaningful package so that 
everybody appreciates what's happening there. Stirring words there uh, to conclude. And uh, thank you very much, uh, Winston, for taking the time from your schedule to talk with us, to share your experiences, the work that got you into journalism, the dream that started close to 30 years ago, your experiences as a teacher, getting the bug, taking the leap, moving, uh, jumping in, and then moving into eventually into investigative, and then all the creative work that you're doing as a teacher, and then continuing to give back to the community through Africa Brief. So thank, thank you very much, Winston, for all that you do and for all your contributions to our community. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. This is Transparency Talks, the member-oriented podcast focusing on issues of transparency, trust, and truth. I'm Jeff Kelly Lowenstein, founder and executive director of the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, or CCIJ. You can find out about people's work at ccij.io. That's ccij.io. You can also check us out on Twitter at v underscore ccij. That's the underscore ccij. Again, thank you for joining us. Stay strong and stay true.